Hey, welcome to Calvary. I'm Torben and I volunteer on one of the worship teams here. We want this to be a place where you can come and worship, get to know God and connect with our community. If you're new here, we can't wait to get to know you. Feel free to message us on social media or text the word hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. This is a great first step to joining our church family. We also want you to experience daily personal encounters with God, discipleship, and community. If you want to learn more about our culture here, deepen your relationship with God and find a small group that you can really connect with. We'd encourage you to talk with one of our volunteers or staff after the service. We want to let you know what's going to happen over the next hour. First, our band is going to lead us in worship that helps us understand who God is and express our love and affection towards Him. Afterwards, we're going to share some things about what's going on here at Calvary, and then one of our pastors will be sharing a message out of the book of Acts. I am so glad you're here. Now, I invite you to come and join us as we worship together. The Spirit of God, powerful beyond definition, described as a wind, violent and forceful, bringing about new birth. You can learn to hear him, the sound of eternal revival. You can come to feel him rushing through you, from you. Some feel him strange, but to those who know him, he is the very source of life itself. Well, you can tell it's almost Christmas because we have a larger stage. And this is kind of like a pastor's dream stage because they can walk all the way from one end to the other or, or dance or something, but, but that would be pretty scary. Um, Rick, if I fall off, you'll catch me this morning or do some crowd surfing or something. So um, just, to, uh, just to add to what Pastor Nathan shared very briefly, for some of you who are familiar with our Christmas offering, um, in the past, there was a component that went to Christmas gifts for our missionaries. So we still do that. We still look after our missionaries. But the Mission Servant Council uh, generously stepped up to cover those needs so that the Christmas offering then can go to the, to the two areas that Pastor Nathan mentioned. So uh, thank you to the Mission Servant Council for that. So this morning we're continuing our mini-series that has focused and been centering on the four practices of a spirit-filled community from Acts chapter 242. And I had a friend ask me last week, he's like, yeah, we've been in Acts 2 for quite a while. Do you think we'll ever make it to Acts 3? And I'm like, yes, we're almost there. Just, just hang on. So um, if you're new today or you just need a previous episode's review, we've been looking at the book of Acts, the historical book of the New Testament that tells the story of Jesus' resurrection and then Jesus' return to heaven and the Holy Spirit coming to earth. You see, while Jesus was here on earth, he did incredible miracles, but it was always just uh, one place in one place at one time. So it was limited, but this, then this incredible exchange took place 
where Jesus ascends to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit comes and fills each and every one of us. So there are actually billions of people that can share the love and story of Jesus Christ simultaneously. So over the last few weeks, we've looked at three of the components, and this morning we'll be looking at the fourth and final one. So you're very familiar with the verse that says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. But I love, I love how a paraphrase, there's a paraphrased version of this that says, the community continually committed themselves learning what the apostles taught them, gathering for fellowship, breaking bread and prayer, meaning this was a lifestyle for all of them together, a community, and and that's really what we want as well. So the four essential elements that a spirit-filled community practices are, number one is the word of God. So the teaching and the learning and living it all together, it's the truth that we hold on to in a world that rejects truth. Being in community, meaning having others around you, living life with us, encouraging each other and praying together, it's really a perfect description of a small group. And in the early church, being in community was really often the difference between life and death because of the intense persecution they experienced. The third one was communion. So that means together we're continually reflecting on Jesus' death and resurrection. We're examining our hearts and motives and experiencing in our own lives healing spirit, soul, and body because of Christ's incredible sacrifice. And the fourth one, which we'll be looking at today, is prayer. So individually and corporately. But just before we do that, what is so incredible is that when there's a commitment to those four things, these four things in community, when there's a commitment, this this shift happens Suddenly, the kingdom of God is manifest in our lives and in our community and in our cities in a real and powerful way. Pastor Barry last week gave us a glimpse of what this looks like from Acts 2.43, which says, as a result of them doing all four of these things, ah, Awe, meaning wonder and reverence and worship, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You see, all of these miracles, these incredible things, pointed to Jesus, and they were a testimony that says, God loves you. And it's so important that we look at the fourth element to complete this picture this morning. And the fourth one, like we said, is prayer. So I think it's fair to say that many of us, probably all of us, have prayed, felt frustrated or defeated because our prayers don't often seem to be answered. 
or we've prayed, and yet we feel isolated, or we feel abandoned by God because he didn't seem to be listening, or it feels like our prayers just bounce back at us. Or we prayed with great faith and confidence, and we felt sure that God would grant our request, and then ended up discouraged because it just didn't happen. This last one is significant too. How many of us haven't prayed because we felt too vulnerable or too fearful doing so? What if God doesn't answer again? What if the answer isn't what we want to hear I know in my life, in in my marriage, we've experienced many of these things. And so part of my message this morning will be a transparent reflection, a look at my journey, our journey with prayer. So through our marriage, there have been many times that my wife and I have gone to God and we've seen our prayers incredibly answered. There have been many times we haven't seen them answered, at least not in the way that we thought they should be. For almost a year, we pressed into intercession and faith for my mother to be healed from cancer, and for almost six months, we did the same for our previous pastor. In both cases, they received their healing in heaven, but not here on earth. And it's tough. You fight for them, you stand with them, you pray hard and with faith, and then it seems like, for what? But when my wife and I were asked, are you guys okay? Are you okay? You believed for healing, and yet the people died. Well, our answer was a resounding yes, because throughout both journeys, God's character, his faithfulness, his goodness never changed. And in that consistent, persistent seeking him, despite the outcome, we were drawn closer to him. It caused us to know him, to love him, and trust him on an entirely deeper level. So as a couple, as a family, as a marriage, we've been through the highs and lows, the successes and failures of prayer. But are there really, are there really failures in prayer? Just because we don't see the results we hope for or believe for certainly doesn't mean that God didn't hear us. So we want to look at some keys this morning that will help us in practicing persistent prayer individually and as a spirit-filled community. So the title of my message this morning is A Spirit-Filled Community Practices Persistent Prayer. We're going to look at James chapter 5 as we explore this fourth practice. So James 5 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. So in the verses preceding these, James has been giving instructions about praying for the sick and offering faith-filled prayers to God and so that those being prayed for can be healed. He then summarizes it and adds kind of a, kind of a caveat to the process here when he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Very interesting. So our first point this morning is authentic community and power. So a spirit-filled community that prays together and prays for one another encourages authentic relationships and it releases God's power. James has just told us to pray in faith But now he adds a wonderful community aspect here. The importance of confessing our sins to each other, and I would boldly say that this also includes sharing our our failures, our frustrations, our joys, our triumphs, and our struggles in life. And after we are open and transparent like this with one another, James then tells us to also pray together in community. Not just by ourselves and for ourselves, but together and for one another. Because when we do, when lives and hearts are shared, our community begins to walk in trust with each other and it causes us to be nurtured, and to grow. You know, we wouldn't want anyone to come up here and and share all their deepest failures here on stage and, and all the discouraging things they're going through. But 70% of us are now connected into a small group in some way, and that is where we can safely begin to go deeper. So my wife and I are so blessed by, and we completely love and trust the members of our small group, because every week we share with each other and and we pray over personal struggles and challenges that we or our loved ones are having. We also celebrate our victories together, and we pray for you, all of our church family, and also those that are part of our school and part of our out-of-school care. So, small groups, which are really close-knit, spirit-filled communities, are the perfect place for vulnerable transparency where we can share our shortcomings, we can pray, um, we can confess our failures, and then we can pray for and we can encourage one another. 
God uses this important aspect to unite our hearts together in authentic community. James even tells us that this is a key to our physical, and I'd add, to our inner healing as well. So besides authenticity and healing, why is there also power in praying together in community? Well, because Jesus himself tells us. In Matthew 18, he says, If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, which is prayer, my Father in heaven will do it for you. That's pretty cool on earth as it is in heaven. For where two or three gather together as my followers, which is community, I am there among them. This is a wonderful promise straight from the mouth of Jesus and a powerful prayer principle. When we gather together and pray in community, community meaning common unity, we have great confidence that God not only hears our prayers, but he responds on our behalf. That is one of the reasons why our corporate prayer and fasting together as a church at the start of each year is so important. So we have a little advertising plug to um, remind you that January 7th to 21st is when we're going to pray together, fast and pray together as a church. So, whenever they prayed together in the book of Acts, there was usually a major event, a great shift that happens. For example, in Acts chapter 1, they prayed together for 10 days straight as Jesus had commanded them. And what happened? The Holy Spirit was poured out in wind and fire and power. In Acts 4, they prayed together for boldness to preach the gospel after they were persecuted and threatened. And what happened? The place was shaken by an earthquake, and they were filled again with the Holy Spirit and with great boldness. In Acts 12, they prayed together for Peter, who was in prison. And what happened? Nothing special. Just an angel showed up, released Peter from prison. So a spirit-filled community prays in authentic unity and sees the power of God released. Point number two is Powerful, persistent prayers from plain people. There ended up being a lot of P's in that, in that title. So with my close proximity to the front row now, I hope you guys are staying dry and spit-free. So, James 5 goes on to say, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, 
None fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. So James tells us that the earnest, meaning the heartfelt, the persistent, never quitting or giving up type of prayers, combined with living right before God, that combination is so powerful. And those prayers are often answered. 1 Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. You see, it's this beautiful exchange where when we walk and live right before God, we're, we're less likely to selfishly pray and ask for things outside his will. And so then when his will lines up with our godly desires and requests, he hears and answers us. 1 John 5 clearly spells this out. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. What happens when we mess up and we ask outside of God's will? Well, let me tell you. When our kids were about, when our three kids were really young, we were really asking God for and believing for a motorhome so that we could go camping as a family. And we had listened to some great faith testimonies of God's provision, and we started looking. And we found uh, one that an elderly couple was selling, and it was gorgeous. It was worth like fifty or sixty or seventy thousand dollars, and we had like you know twenty dollars in the bank. And but but we had an unused ten thousand dollar line of credit. So I prayed for just ten thousand. Okay, so I prayed for a week or so. And big warning sign here, like flashy neon. My wife wasn't in agreement. But I wrote a check for $10,000. I went back to see the gentleman, and I offered it to him in faith. I was, of course, nervous and scared, because what could go wrong? Well, everything that could go wrong did go wrong, and he was so offended and so angry and hurt and upset. And I think that he asked us to leave. And, and, and what I think was even worse is that I had told him that I had prayed about it and that God wanted me to do this. And yeah, just when it couldn't get any worse, if I remember correctly, when I got the nerve to go and apologize a few months later, I think his wife told us that he had passed away. So, even when we fall, even when we mess up, if we make sure that we're quick to repent and receive God's forgiveness so that we can get up and keep moving forward. So, why does James use Elijah as an example, saying he was just as human as we are? After all, wasn't he a prophet? 
Yeah, of course, he functioned as a prophet, but I venture to say that he had many or more doubts and fears and insecurities than you and I might even have. In 1 Kings 18 and 19, one moment he's facing off against 850 demon-possessed false prophets, and then he calls fire down from heaven, and it's really quite spectacular. But a short time later, he's full of fear, and he's running away, and when he finally stops, he tells God, I'm giving up, just kill me. That's pretty extreme and clearly shows his humanity. I know it definitely gives me hope that if I'm doing my best to make right choices in line with and obedience to God's word, there's a much better chance that God hears my prayers. The third point this morning is importunity brings opportunity. Importunity brings opportunity. So importunity is not a commonly used word in the English language, but it means to ask for something in a persistent, a forceful, often demanding way. And I first heard it used in a sermon as a a teenager, and it stuck with me all these years. It literally means that many times when we come to God, Even if we don't have all our ducks in a row, God still honors our tenacity. Look at Elijah's faith and perseverance. This grumpy, moody prophet was told that God would send rain after three and a half years of of drought. Did Elijah just say, cool God, good plan? No, He needed to pray for the rain to start again, and so he persistently prayed and didn't give up. Seven times he sent his servant to keep checking the horizon for clouds and rain, and all the time he's still persistently giving up and not praying until the clouds and rain appear. This is the same tenacity that God wants to see in us. In Luke 18, one day Jesus told his, his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. And then he goes on to tell about a woman who's demanding justice from an unjust judge. And he only listens to her because she was wearing him out with her persistency. Jesus said that if the ungodly judge would do it, how much more will God surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Jesus finishes it with how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on the earth when he returns meaning God is looking for us, expecting us to have persistent faith. Did you know that our loved ones, our friends, our prodigals are depending on our persistent not giving up prayers? 
We have a prayer box that many of you probably don't know about, um, but in this box, there are almost 2,000 names of friends and loved ones that we keep in prayer, that we persistently lift up to God, believing that they will come to relationship with Jesus Christ. Thanks, Rick. Our importunity in prayer brings opportunity for God's answers. You know, Wayne Gretzky famously said that we miss 100% of the shots we don't take. So if we're not persistently praying, if we're not asking... In Luke 11, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray and then goes on to illustrate how important praying persistently is. It's very fascinating because after showing them the Lord's Prayer, it'd kind of be like, oh, great, Jesus, that, that must be it. No. It says that Jesus taught them more about prayer, telling them a parable of a man knocking on his his friend's door at midnight asking for help, and he receives it not because of their friendship, because his friend is ticked. He was asleep, and now there's pounding at the door. He says he receives the answer because of his shameless persistence, because he didn't give up, or it's called importunity, in the King James Version. And then Jesus puts the icing on the cake. In Luke eleven nine. 9, he says, And so I tell you, when you pray, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. If Jesus is putting this much emphasis on practicing persistent prayer, I think it's important that we pay attention. When Pastor Nathan was just a toddler, I know it's hard to believe, Um, And he was so sick. It had been about five days of him not being able to keep any food or milk down. And he was so weak, so dangerously close to being dehydrated, that the doctor had said if he doesn't improve by morning, he will have to be hospitalized. So I remember it clearly that night that Tina and I went to battle for our little boy. We prayed powerfully, persistently, not giving up type of prayer over him in his room for several hours until we felt a shift, until we knew that he was going to get better And from that point on, and by the morning, he was improving. Praise God. My fourth point this morning is worshipers before warriors. This is a small section that has been hugely important in my marriage and family. I can truly say it's 
one of our highest, most significant principles that we have developed and adhered to. Because throughout our lives, we will get hit over and over and over again. After all, we've been born into a world at war and we have an enemy who hates us. But our God is a great warrior and he created us in his image. And he set within each one of us a warrior heart so that we can fight for everything we love. So as first responders, when we're hit in a devastating way, what should be? Our first response, I would suggest it's to go to God in praise and worship. Let me paraphrase Acts 16.25 for you. So it's midnight and in the darkness of their cell, Paul and Silas, after surviving a severe beating, they're not moaning or groaning or complaining, but instead they're praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners in the adjacent cells are listening to them worship and can hardly believe their ears. Suddenly the ground begins to shake and the prison foundations begin to crack. Chains become unfastened, cell doors fling open, and every prisoner is miraculously freed. Or in 2 Chronicles 20, where multiple nations with hundreds of thousands of troops are marching against God's people, and they do not stand a chance. King Jehoshaphat engages the entire nation in corporate prayer and fasting, but then sends the worship team out in front of the army. Lucky them! But as they praise and worship, their enemies are defeated. You see, the wonderful principle here is that our choice to persistently press into God in praise and worship in the face of overwhelming odds affirms our faith and trust in him. Throughout our lives, we can point at the times of devastating hits and how we've responded. Two of them include Tina's initial and then subsequent MS diagnoses. These were devastating, and fear rushed in, and all we could do in response was to go to God and affirm his goodness, his greatness, and his mighty healing power. Or over six years ago, when I was laid off from my construction project management career, how will we survive? How will we pay our bills? All we could do in response was go to God and affirm his goodness, greatness, and faithfulness to provide. Every devastating attack, every overwhelming hit, we've tried to respond first with worship and prayer. We will never have a greater chance to worship God, and never will our sacrifice of praise mean 
more to him than during life's difficulties and struggles? Can we still choose to worship him after we've been hit hard? It's easy to praise God on the mountaintops when everything is a blessing and going wonderful. But can we worship him and trust him as we walk through the dark valleys and great moments of uncertainty? Despite the deep, difficult emotions we're experiencing, it's so pleasing to our Heavenly Father because it's an acknowledgement of our trust in him. And it helps bring great breakthroughs. Practicing persistent prayer includes our f- affirming our faith and trust in God through worship. My final point this morning is future uncertainty and ultimate vulnerability. One of the greatest reasons for praying is to ask God for wisdom about what to do regarding a life situation or decision, which is future uncertainty. And then if and when we do pray, we choose to trust God for the answer, which leaves us in a place of ultimate vulnerability. That is why people often hesitate to pray and to pray with faith because when we do, we are completely vulnerable. If you think about it, faith is really laying our lives on the altar and completely trusting God with them. Interestingly, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 tells us that he persistently prayed and asked God for something, but then he stopped praying, not because he gave up or thought it inappropriate to keep asking God, but he received an answer. It just happened that the answer was no. And so some may feel that Repeatedly asking God for the same thing actually shows a lack of faith. Or it's a sign that we don't trust that God heard our prayers and therefore persistent prayer must be presumptuous and rude. Others feel that not repeatedly asking for something shows a lack of faith or a sign that we do not trust in God's goodness. To them, not persisting in prayer means We've given up too easily. In truth, both perspectives can be valid. The Bible encourages us to bring our needs and desires to God in faith and clearly demonstrates the power of persistent prayers. Even Jesus passionately and persistently prayed regarding the cross See, when we bring our requests to God, we honor him. We reveal the desires of our hearts, and we admit that only he can meet them. Hebrews 11 says, without faith it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And yet, and yet, While God loves and honors our persistent prayers, they're not a magic formula that forces God's hand. 
He's not obligated to say yes to our every request. And sometimes, rather than submit to his will, I've been there. We persist in prayer over something for which God knows we shouldn't have or which we've already received a response which we don't like. Persistent prayer should be very much about relationship and not about getting things. It's about knowing and trusting our Father in a deeper way. And we do see that he's always good and he does desire to give us good things. However, in our persistence, we must be willing to submit to his sovereignty because God's ways are not our ways. We must be willing to offer a sacrifice of worship and praise in the dark valleys and not just on the mountaintops. The reality, sometimes our hearts don't understand his will or timing. And so we often need to patiently wait for God's yes. And other times we must be willing to accept God's no. It becomes a place of uncertainty and vulnerability. However, we know God and trust his good character. So I encourage you to press into him in persistent, faith-filled prayer and then rest in the fact that his response will be the absolute best for us. Ultimately, God desires both our persistent prayers and our faith and trust in him. Amen? Amen. So let's stand. We're going to have a time of reflection this morning. I feel like this morning that there are, might be some areas in your life that you've said, God, you know what? I gave up praying about that. I gave up persisting in prayer about that. It might be a sickness. It might be an unsaved loved one or prodigal. That one is huge. It's huge. It might be financial provision. It might be an unfulfilled dream. I want us this morning to ask God for the strength to pick that area up again. Whatever God shows you or tells you, to pick that area up again in persistent prayer. The second thing I want us to reflect on, is there an area that I have refused to pray about because I've been afraid of the answer or I'm afraid that God will let me down again? Maybe it's time to ask God for forgiveness, to repent, and then to pick that up again, trusting God, laying our lives on the altar in faith, trusting him in all of that. So we're just going just gonna, to um, reflect on this for just a few moments. So just... Uh, look up at the, at the screen and just prayerfully ask God if any of those apply to you this morning. Father, we pray that you show us, God, if there's any areas that we let go of, God, that you want us to pick up again and persistently in prayer go after these things, God, because you're pleased with our faith. 
Or God, maybe we persisted in prayer over something where you already said no. And, you're, and God, you're saying, trust me. Trust me in that. Or God, maybe there's fear to even pray because we'll, we're afraid that it might not happen again. But God, you are always listening. And God, we repent for any areas where we may have God in fear, let go, not trusted you, not kept pressing into you, we pray. Thank you, Father, for your great faithfulness and goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.